0: Ah, Amen. How are we doing church? Doing all right? Hope so. If you got your Bibles, I hope you do. Grab them. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. We are obviously talking about parenting. That's where we are in the text. We're in this really long series called Before All Things. And if you'll remember back in verse 17, uh, Paul says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then for the last three weeks... Uh, We have been walking through, what does it look like to declare that Jesus is before all things at work and in our homes. And so, uh, thank you so much for the prayers last week. I was not here. I was uh, at Wolfson's with my daughter, Reagan, who was having, uh, she broke her elbow, and they were doing surgery and putting a cast on it. And so, I was being a parent last week, so this week I'm going to preach on parenting. And so, uh, here we go. Um, It is incredibly important. It is the most daunting thing I have ever done. Just so you know, I have an 11-year-old son, a 7-year-old daughter, so I know something about that, I guess. And then I did youth ministry for 15 years. That was definitely a different seat on the bus, but I learned uh, whatever you can learn about teenagers there. And so, um, here's where in the text, in, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, every single time in the New Testament, the New Testament gives instructions on parents and children. It always comes right after it gives instructions on husbands and wives, And so, the reason is because the ideal in the scripture is that kids are raised by people that have a healthy marriage. And what we want more than athletic kids, more than educated kids, more than talented kids, is you want to raise secure kids, and especially when they're young, a kid's security is found in the people that are supposed to love them the most loving each other well. So, the best thing you could ever do, if you're parents, the best thing you could ever do for your children is love your spouse well. Now, that being said, uh, let me just call out the elephant in the room. There's a bunch of you going, Well, thanks, Pastor. I could have used that 20 years ago because that's not exactly my situation. And this is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And just hear this, all right? That while the Bible lays out the ideal, one man, one woman, one lifetime, and that is uh, the nucleus of a family. The Bible lays out the ideal, and wherever the ideal is not realized, grace abounds. Grace abounds. So, if you're a single parent, or you're divorced, or your kids live somewhere else, or or maybe you're older and you didn't get it right, or or you want to have kids and you don't have kids, and you and you're saying, God, how come how come we don't get to have kids? Because I don't know about you, it seems to me like the people the least likely qualified to be parents are the most fertile people alive and the people that I mean they pop them out like Skittles and you're like how does that happen and these other these people are good you know how that goes right so just know this therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus All right. and so uh, the Bible lays out what's real what, what is ideal and whenever that's not realized in our personal life as a society as families then the grace of God abounds and as we talk about the roles of parents and children My greatest fear is about the back half of this sermon is going to be, I'm going to try to get real practical about what gospel-driven parenting looks like, and my fear is that as we get into the practical application, every parent here would forget that parenting exposes your need for a savior like nothing else in the world. I mean, there's some stuff that came out of me that I didn't know was in there when I became a parent. Some of it's good. There's a level of love that I did not realize that I had in me. I mean, I love Gretchen a ton, and then Gretchen gave birth to JP, and when I first met him, you know, you walk over there in the, at the hospital. This is the way our deal worked. They put him in a little warmer, like they do the Chick-fil-A sandwiches, you know, one of those things, and so there you are. How you doing, bud? Very nice to meet you, my son. And, and he had a skullet. You know what a skullet is? Like bald on top, little mullet in the back. That's called a skullet, so I knew he was mine. I knew that's a Dylan baby right there. And it's like, it's very nice to meet you. I would die for you. Right? I mean, that's how you know. You're like, this is it. I mean, we've never met before. I saw a picture of you six months ago. You look like a gummy bear, and now here you are, and I would lay down my life for you. So you have that kind of love. And then also, your kids will drive you to a point that some real darkness comes out of your mouth sometime. Can I get a witness, all right? And what you do not need is six tips for better parenting. What we need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what we can forget, man, we can get here and we can preach the gospel to ourselves, we can sing gospel songs, and then the moment our kids screw up, we can completely forget the gospel. You see, if a tight system of regulation could change a heart, then Jesus died for nothing. And so... Uh, Do we need a tight system for regulation when we have little kids and stuff? Yes and amen, absolutely. We'll get to that in a minute. But you've got to know that only the gospel can change a child's heart. And until they encounter the love and grace of Jesus, then nothing's gonna change from the inside out. And our job as parents is to create the kind of environment whereby they can grow up and grow into the kind of adult human that God desired and designed for them. And the reality is, is that, Raising kids today is tough, man. I mean, it is tough. I know every generation it has been tough, but it's a tough one. Let me, let, me, uh, let me quote a pretty famous philosopher. He said it this way. He said, children today love luxury, and they have bad manners and contempt for authority, and they show disrespect for their elders, and they love to chatter in place of exercise, and they are now tyrants. They're not servants of their household. They don't rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents. They chatter before company. They gobble up food at the table. They cross their legs and they tyrannize their teachers. Amen? Does that not sound like today's generation? Well, the problem is Socrates said it in 400 B.C. (laughs) You see, here's the other danger. Everybody in the 40 and up crowd. I'm 43, so that's me. We all think that we were great and our generation was great and the upcoming generation is a problem. Well, the reality is, listen, 40-up crowd, you're a turd. You were a turd. You gave birth to turds. That's why they get on your nerves. That's just true. The same was true in 400 B.C., okay? Every single one of us are wretched, black-hearted sinners, and we come out of the womb like the seagulls in Nemo, crying, mine, 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 mine. And the reality, those kind of realities lead us to verses like Proverbs 19:18. Do not write this down. Do not even look it up. It says this, discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. It's all crossed our mind. Don't don't act like it hasn't. Or Proverbs 23, 13 to 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. (laughs) And if you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from hell. This is where the phrase beat the hell out of him came from, okay? I didn't make it up. It's from the Bible. If you don't like it, email Solomon at Proverbs.com, okay? You can tell parents wrote that, so, and listen, we're not going to get into, like, should you spank or should you not spank. We do it at our house. If you don't, we know, so it's fine. Um, that's up to you. That's not what we're talking about, because I'm telling you, I, did, I grew up in a different generation, man. I grew up in a generation, everybody could whip you. Every, my dad would just give permission to have the baseball coach, your English teacher, the administration at your school, random guy at Piggly Wiggly, if he saw you messing around, he would come after you, okay? And there was no timeout. Man, I wish, I wish my dad would go to your room and think about it. <laughs> nah, timeout at my house is occasionally during the whooping, my daddy would take a timeout to wipe this sweat from his brow, light up another Marlboro, and just come back in for round two. You understand? So... Now, being a parent is a really, really, really big deal. Really big deal. And again, nothing exposes our need for the gospel in ourselves and in our kids like like that kind of relationship. And what if, here's what I want you to consider. What if God didn't give you your kids for you? For your pleasure or your torment? But what if God gave you your kids, and kids, what if God gave you your parents to declare that he is before all things? And that's the reason that you were placed in the home that you were placed in. That's the reason that God gave you the stewardship of your children. Because listen, being a parent is a really, really, really big deal. A couple weeks ago, me and 88 of my best friends are in Israel. We took our crew to this place called Shechem. In Joshua chapter 24, Shechem is the big deal in the life of the nation of Israel. Joshua gathers together the nation of Israel. And and you can go there today. The, The city, they found the ruins of the city. And you can stand right where Joshua was standing. And it's in between these two big famous mountains in the Old Testament. One of them is called the mountain of blessing and one's the mountain of cursing. And you can stand right there. And in Joshua chapter 24, Joshua says to the nation of Israel... Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether you will serve the God of your forefathers, of the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hizzites or the idol worshipers, or if you will serve the one true God. And then Joshua says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then all of the people, it's a very famous verse. And then all of the people gather together and they say, Okay, we're throwing out the idols and we are going to serve the one true God. It happened right there in Shechem. And you think, Yay. And then you turn one page in the Bible. The next book is the book of Judges. And in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, it says this. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. That's the children of the generation that stood in Shechem and said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. All that generation were also gathered to their fathers. That means they died. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. You get this, one generation knows the gospel, the next generation assumes the gospel, and then the third generation does not know the gospel. Do you realize that in one generation, that it could come to a screeching halt? That what hangs in the balance for the upcoming generation is a really big deal. And according to the scriptures, the home is the central delivery system for the upcoming generation. Not the government, not the school, not even the church. But our homes, our homes are the central delivery system of who God is and what he has done. And so this is a big deal. So when Paul, in Colossians chapter 3, is declaring, what does it look like to declare that he is before all things in your home? He starts with the marriage, and then he's going to go to parenting. So if you pick it up in verse 20, it starts with this: children children. Now, the Bible does not give an age as to what a child is, but basically, biblically speaking, if you live at home, you're a child. And so, some of you are like, whoa, 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 but I'm 22. You a big old child then, all right? Yeah, but I'm a man. We'll get you a man job, pay your own man bills, fold your man underwear, and you can be a man, all right? Currently, this is you. This is the category in which we find you. If that offends you, it should. Get off your blessed assurance, get a job, move out. All right, that's a different sermon. I digress. Children, (laughs) obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. See, God is the God of authority and God set you under the authority of your parents. And so, you are to obey your parents. That you cannot simultaneously disobey your parents and obey God as long as what they are asking you to do is not outside of what God is asking you to do. Verse 21, fathers, now again, Do moms and dad parent? Absolutely. Co-equal. It's a team for sure. But fathers, there will be a day where you stand before the almighty God and give an account for what happened in your house. I mean, God saved the dad that thinks that that parenting is mom's job. Even though it seems that moms do about 95% of the parenting, fathers, you will be held accountable. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I'm gonna tell you, this is a challenging verse to me. I mean, I am a very involved father. I coach teams, we pray, we do Bible, we do all that stuff, take my little girl out on dates. I mean, I'm into it. But the way the NIV uh, translate this provoke is the word exasperate. Exasperate or provoke means parents, especially dads, don't put your kid in a no-win situation. And, man, as I evaluate me as a dad, honestly, I've had to repent to my children this week because there are multiple times where I put my kids in no-win situations. The JP's sitting at the dinner table eating, and I walk by his room, and it's a mess, and I yell out, what are you doing, boy? Get in here and clean up your room. Do you not appreciate what we do for you? And then I walk back in the kitchen, and there's his plate. And I'm like, well, how do you just leave your plate here at the table? And he's standing there in the hallway, what do I do? You said go here, and I can't be there. And I think... Ah, that's what exasperation looks like. And in those moments, I have to repent. Let me tell you what you got to repent of, parents. You better repent to your kids and turn to the Lord if you expect them to be like these emotional weathermen and women where they have to wake up every day and try to predict and forecast what your emotion is and how that's going to impact their parenting. You can say amen or ouch, but it's just true, is it not? So fathers... Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And what you don't want is discouraged kids. The opposite of that would be encouraged. You see, here's what every kid needs from their mama and daddy. Every kid needs validation and vision. That's what they're looking for. Validation and vision. And if they don't get it, first and foremost from their heavenly father and second from their earthly father, they will try to find a substitute. And you do not want this world to validate your children. And you definitely don't want your kids living up to the vision of this world. I mean, think about how the heavenly father treats us, but in in particular, his only begotten son. On the day Jesus is baptized, the heavens open up. And God Almighty says, behold my son in whom I am well pleased. Do your kids know that you are well pleased in them? If you hop over to the book of Ephesians, we're going to do the same thing this week. We did last week. Um, Paul, the same author, writing about the same subject, gives more ink in Ephesians does, than he does Colossians. And I always think it's a good idea to let the Bible be commentary unto itself. So it, wherever the Bible talks about a subject, you should look up all of those, all of those places. And so uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, here's how Paul says it. Paul says, Children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. He's going back and he's quoting the fifth commandment here. And so again, children, if you live at home, this is for you. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then the second part we never graduate from. No matter how old you are and how old your parents are and how long you've been living on your own, you never graduate from this second part, and it is honor. And a lot of times we get the words confused between honor and respect. That that honor is given and respect is earned. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it pleases the Lord. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. So here's what this means okay, all throughout the Bible where it talks about honor, even in the book of Peter, Peter says, Honor those who are in authority over you, honor the emperor. At that time, the emperor was not very honorable. He was trying to kill Christians. You understand? And so your job, our job as foe, as people, as children, if you've got parents that are alive, is to honor them. Even if they're not alive, we honor them. And the Bible says we are to outdo one another with honor. And again, here he is quoting the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment, we did an entire series on the Ten Commandments, and if you'll remember, the first four commandments were about our relationship with God, and commandments five through ten are about our relationship with one another, with one another. And so, the fifth commandment, the first commandment in our relationships with one another is about the home. Because the home is the primary institution. The home is where we figure out how to obey the authority of the government, the schools, the teachers, the coaches, and all of that. That obeying your father and mother is more important than don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Because you primarily learn those things at home. And if you are living at home, the number one way to honor your father and mother is obedience. is to do what they say. And listen to me if you live at home. Um, here's why you should listen to your parents. First and foremost it's because God placed them in authority over you. Secondly, nobody loves you like they do and nobody knows you like they do. And I know, like if you're 17 years old, you got it all figured out and you're like, listen, how can I take advice from my dad? He still wears Crocs and socks in public and I just don't know that I can do that, okay? My mom wears mom jeans with a nine-inch zipper and I'm just knowing I can trust her choices. So, it's because... It's because God has placed them in authority over you. And so you obey. And it is not submission until you have to do something that you don't want to do. And it is a way to honor God. And one of the best ways that we can honor our parents is this, is to tell them to say thank you, to say I'm sorry, and to at least say I love you. So what I want every single person that can possibly do this today is to get their phone out and maybe you text your mom and dad today and say either I'm sorry or thank you, but definitely say I love you. Um, Last summer I was teaching this at a camp somewhere and I I was teaching the Ten Commandments to a bunch of high school students and I said everybody get out your phone and text your mom and dad right now and tell them thank you or I'm sorry, but definitely tell them I love you. And this girl texts her mom and says this, Thank you so much for everything you do, mama. You're the best. I love you so much. Go ahead and start making me a list of things that I can help with when I get home. She replies, aw, what brought that on? (laughs) Two minutes later, what have you done that I need to know about? (laughs) That's just true, right? So, (laughs) children, it's real easy. You live at home, it's obedience. For the rest of your life, it's honor. And then in 6 4, Ephesians 6-4, he shifts gears and he says, fathers, and again, obviously moms and dad are one team, but dad, you will take ultimate responsibility. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That word for bring them up is like a, it's like a gardening term. It means to cultivate. It means that um, you prepare the child for the path, not the path for the child. That you take you, you assess the current situation and based on the culture and the situation in which you find yourself as a parent, that is the culture in which you bring your kids up. And there's, there's basically two sides of the coin here. There is discipline, which means exactly what you think it means, and there is instruction. Discipline is not just punishment for not getting it right. It has to go with instruction, which is training and coaching and redirecting. And the reality is this. Is that you can discipline without love, but you cannot love without discipline. And I would highly recommend, if you've got, if you're a parent with kids at home, I would highly recommend the book uh, by Dr. Tim Elmore called Generation IY. And in this book, it is, um, it is a cultural look at the environment in which kids are growing up in today to help parents like us say, how do we bring up kids in this current generation and situation? And he. He developed this acronym scene s c e n e to describe the current situation. The s stands for speed. We live in a culture of speed. Everything is now and everything is fast. I mean it's microwave, it's not gram, it's instagram. If I mean you think about it, we have access, we have access to all of the information in the world and if it takes more than about 10 seconds to download, we will lose our mind. Will we not? You see, here's what's crazy. This is the first generation in human history that does not need adults for information. See, there used to be this thing called the Encyclopedia Britannica. This fairy lady brought it to your grandma's house. And if you needed information, you had to know someone five feet eight or taller so they could reach it up on the top shelf. All right? It was crazy. And now this generation does not need us for information, but they do need us for interpretation. And so we live in a world that is fast. Speed defines everything. Now, the shadow of that is this. If we live in a world of speed, then people begin to just think, feel, believe that slow is bad. That slow is bad. Now, can you microwave character? No, it takes a long, long time. We live in a world, the C in the acronym scene is convenience. We live in a world of convenience. Everything is convenience. It is right at our fingertips. We can just drive a minute and go get what we want to eat. We can order everything on our phones. In fact, when we were in the hospital last week, Reagan asked that we turn the television on, and we could not find the remote. And we are walking around like zombies in the walking dead looking for the remote. It finally occurred to us, oh, you know what? We could actually walk up to the television and push the button. Reagan says, what are you doing, Dad? I'm like, baby, you're not going to believe this. But when I was growing up, um, we had the TV that worked that sat on the one that didn't work. (laughs) And then we had a pair of channel lock pliers hooked on to the thing so that when you wanted to change the channel, it was crazy. You had to get up from where you were and walk over there and change the channel. And She's like, but Father, what did you do during the commercials? Baby, we had to watch them. She was like, oh, no. Okay? So we live in a world of convenience. The shadow of that is people begin to believe that hard is bad. If something is difficult, then it's not good. The E is entertainment. We live in a world of entertainment. There is no dead air. I mean, you, you, the moment there's a pause in activity, watch what happens. We all pull out our phone. At red lights and lines, we take it to the bathroom. Okay? That entertainment is everywhere. And then the shadow of that is our kids grow up believing that boring is bad. And psychologists teach us that the two things that are developed in the human when they are bored is empathy and creativity. That if you do not have margin with nothing to think about, then your mind has a real hard time developing empathy and creativity. The end is Nurture. We live in a nurturing environment where safety is king. It is the most important thing in everything, which leads kids to believe that risk is bad. I mean, again, I grew up without seatbelts, all right? I can remember in our 73 Chevrolet, we were riding, we are going fishing one day, and I find this thing. Daddy, what's this? It was the seatbelt. He's like, boy, tuck that thing back in the seat. It's going to fly around and hurt somebody, all right? (laughs) Just how we live. And these days, you see a kid on a bicycle in your neighborhood, and if he does not have on a helmet, a face mask, mouthpiece, elbow guards, wrist protection, shin guards, right? Then you will call the police because that kid is in danger. And, and I'm, I, you know, I'm for nurturing children. I've got a broken one at home right now. But the shadow is people begin to believe that risk is bad. And then the E is Entitlement. We live in a world where people are just growing up and they believe because they're a snowflake and a Skittle and a starburst or whatever, a puppy's breath and a rainbow, that, that because I'm here, it's mine. And they, and they graduate with a degree and whatever they decided because the real majors didn't work for them anymore and then they walk out and on the first day of employment, they believe they needed a job better than their mom and dad and, ha- and deserve a house better than mom and dad. And so what begins to happen is in this world of entitlement, The shadow is that labor is bad. Like my daddy told me, he said, boy, you don't get up and go to fun, you get up and go to work. Now think about this. I mean, this is just true, right? This guy's smart, Dr. Tim Elmore, that we live in a world of speed, convenience, entertainment, nurture, entitlement, which leads us to feel that slow is bad, hard is bad, boring is bad, risk is bad, and labor is bad. And so, we need to know the kind of culture our children are growing up in because it Aren't, aren't slow, hard, boring risk and labor, aren't these the very elements that God uses to grow us up, to be men and women of in, integrity and character? But we live in a culture that is not drifting towards those things. And so what often happens, according to Dr. Elmore, is that parents can kind of overreact in one of two extremes to the current scene in which we find ourselves as parents. And they, uh, one extreme is abandonment. And abandonment could just literally be abandonment, or abandonment could be you abdicate your parental responsibilities to all the paid experts that exist in your world. So uh, you coach him, you teach him, and new gen leaders, you teach him about Jesus. And then I'm just abandoned. You can imagine the kind of pain that that incurs. The other one, which is probably most of us here, is uh, the other extreme is parenting in abundance, that we can overparent our kids, in reaction to the situation that we find ourselves in. And when, when there's an overabundance, there are four things that happen. We risk too little, we rescue too quickly, we rave too easily, and we reward too frequently. We risk too little. We pull all the monkey bars out of the elementary school because they're just too dangerous. The problem is, you pull all the danger out of a kid's life, it will be, an, it'll be impossible for them to follow after Jesus. Because to follow after Jesus is a very, very risky proposition. Because you know where he went? He went to the cross. And if you follow him, you will follow him to the cross. And if you want a risk-free life, do not follow Jesus. It is very risky on this side of heaven. Eternally speaking, it all works out great. But from here to the time you go to heaven, it should be very, very risky. And we rescue too quickly. And parents can rush in and solve their kids' problems instead of allowing their kids to develop the the character and develop the tools to solve their own problems and it's one thing to de- to solve some of your kids problems when they're eight but you do that too much to expect it at 18 then you got a 28 year that's just waiting for mom to come in and fix everything and we rescue too quickly it's okay for your kid to get in trouble for something that they did in school so the school calls us and says JP didn't bring his signed thing and if you bring it now he doesn't have to run a lap I'm like well You can enjoy the exercise, JP. It's not my problem, all right? And we rave too easily. And again, we grow up in a culture where you're told you're a snowflake and you're a Skittle and doggone it, people like you. No, you're a wretched, black-hearted sinner. And should you rave over your kids? For sure, but not just for getting the spoon into the dishwasher. You don't have to have a ribbon for that. And sometimes kids... Don't know how to handle actual criticism, which leads to the last one, and we reward too frequently. Listen, affirmation without achievement is aimless. That at some point, you know what JP does with his participation trophies now? His last one, he gave it back to me. I was like, why are you giving this to me? He's like, you paid 80 bucks for me to be on the team. You earned it. I want the trophy that we earned it and we won at the tournament, okay? Because it begins to matter. And so should you reward? Yeah, but not not for, for nothing. And so the way the Bible describes what we're supposed to do in this current environment, one of the most famous verses, is Proverbs 22.6. Proverbs 22.6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now this is not a guarantee, this is a principle. That our job as parents is to train up the children that God has put under our authority and what it means here that word train doesn't just mean um it doesn't just mean to punish them when they don't get it right it means to coach like paul says it means discipline and instruction and i think first and foremost what this means what this verse is talking about even when he is old 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 not older not like 14 when he is old he will not depart from it it means this that we've got to think long term We've got to think what's best for them long-term versus what's easiest for me right now. Which means, first and foremost, that your identity is not found in your child. Because every parent here, man, we can take a good thing, elevate it to a God thing. That is a really bad thing. Like the way your kids behave socially is not a competition against all the other parents. Our identity cannot be found in their performance on the on the ball field or in gymnastics or or in the band or at school. That remember the gospel says that the verdict comes first and then the performance. And so do we declare the gospel with our mouth but the way we treat our kids we're treating them like the performance comes first and then the verdict. And if you love your kids, I'm telling you, you can discipline without love, but you cannot love without discipline. And what discipline requires is, us for, is it requires us to look at the horizon of their life and make the tough call now for their benefit down the road. I mean, there's not a parent... well. When we were in the hospital last week, and Reagan, is a, she's got to get x-rays on her elbow. She broke her elbow doing front handsprings at one of those jumpy places, concussion cube or whatever. I can't remember what it's called, but it's, we ain't going back. I promise you that. So so we, she comes screaming to me. She's pretty tough. It's not getting better. We go to the hospital, and they're like, we gotta, we got to have x-rays of it, right? And so the x-ray that they need, one of them's no problem, but the other one, the way she needs to turn her arm, man, this is it's going to be really, really painful. And so I am not going to leave her side. I am there, and I'm, literally I'm, I'm supporting her broken arm. And they've got it all lined up, and the x-ray tech, you know, he's telling me what to do, and I stop and pray for the dude because that's what I do. If you're ever my doctor, I'm just going to pray for you. That's how this works. And the doctors look at me weird, and I'm like, bro, let me tell you what just happened. I just prayed to the almighty sovereign God of the universe that he would heal my daughter, and he sent you. So I'm about to pray for you. Okay, so now I know they go back to their little lounge I'm like, that crazy in room eight, I don't care, all right? <laughs> Because every perfect good and perfect gift is from above. And so a big part of the way God heals right now is you pray for healing. And God gives common grace of doctors, medicine, technology. So if you work in that industry, you are a part of God's healing hand on our land. Thank you very much. Okay, and so I'm holding her arm there. And the x-ray tech tells me, when you ca- I'm gonna count down to one and you're gonna have to not support her arm. And a great amount of pain is gonna go there. And so I I'm knowingly... Move my hand and know this is going to hurt my daughter in the short term. But you've got to keep the long term in mind. Because everybody here knows you would, you would rather her um, experience a little bit of pain now so that they can get the pictures that they need so they can do the surgery that needs to be done. Because I don't want her growing up with like one arm longer than the other and she'll clap like this. You know, I don't want that happening for her. And so what you do is you're, every clear-minded parent would let them experience a little bit of pain now for the sake of the future. And so I asked JP this week, I told him, I'm, I'm teaching a whole bunch of people on parenting. Do you have any advice? And here's what he said, 11-year-old, here's what he wants you to know. He said, Dad, parents need to know that their kids are not perfect, so they should give them multiple chances. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And... and, and As I began to kind of reflect on that, I began to think, I think most of the time I expect my kids to be perfect. I told you once. And then I began to think about, how does does God Almighty father me? I mean, does he give me multiple chances? Does he expect me to be perfect? Does he love some future version of me once I get it all together? Or did he love me right where I am at great expense to himself, but love me too much to leave me there? And so how do we train up our kids in the way that we should go? I think first and foremost, we've got to be rooted in the gospel. We've got to ask this question, okay, how does God father me? You see, again, the heavens open up and God declares for everybody to hear, behold, my son, in whom I am well pleased. The book of Zephaniah says that God delights over us, that he sings loudly over his children. Do your kids know that you delight in them? Or that they just always feel like they've let you down based on their performance? Because I will tell you, the way we raise our kids will be one of the primary models and primary pictures of what they believe about God. Think about what God thinks about when he looks at you. When, did you realize that when he thinks about you, because Jesus is the propitiation for our sin, propitiation means a payment that satisfies, that you could never dissatisfy God. Therefore, he's really stoked over you. He's not about you, but he's for you. He's about him and his own glory, but the reason I know that he's for you is because he demonstrated his love for you in this, that Jesus died for you. And if somebody dies for you, they're for you. So if I were to mention your name to God, his face lights up. That's just how it works. Does your countenance reflect the countenance of God toward your kids? You see, that's how God loves us, that whenever we sin, grace Abounds, Grace abounds. That when when we think about the way that God fathers us, you gotta think connection, not control. You gotta think connection, not control. You see, when God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, it was primarily about connection. He is not a high-control God. There was only one thou shalt not. You realize that? I mean, are rules important? Yes, he said, don't eat that thing. It will kill you. Stay away from that for your own good. But it was primarily about connection. The God, the Bible says he walked in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. He was in a face-to-face relationship with them. He he wasn't a God of a whole bunch of rules. He had one no. He had a bunch of yeses. One was uh, subdue and cultivate. My favorite commandment in the the garden was this, be fruitful and multiply. If you're you're new to Bible study, that's Hebrew for bow, chicka, wow, wow. That's what that is, okay? (laughs) Now that's connection. See, God is all about it think connect not control and think lab not lecture think la- I think most of us as parents instead of seeing um, you know, the, the time that our kids are in our house as a lab to experiment and to learn and to be sanctified to grow up to adults that love God and love people most of the time we try to boil everything down to a lecture and think about this doesn't God let us live in this life as a lab? And, and it's most often um, the mistakes that we made and God allows us to go through those to sanctify us to be more and more and more like Jesus. If it was just a lecture, God would preach us one sermon and then squish us and take us to heaven the moment we surrendered our life to Christ. But instead, he lets us live in this world because he is raising us up to be more and more like him. And so, how do you train your kids in the way that they should go? This isn't everything that it means, but I think it at least means this. I'd love for you to write this down. The T. For T. You teach the word. You teach the word. The first thing that we do in training up our children in the way they should go is we teach the word. We want to plant the word of God so deep in their soul that when they are old, they will not depart from it. God's word always does what it is supposed to do. And we have a new gen ministry here that partners with us as parents to help us teach the word to our kid. I I know that sometimes you don't feel super well equipped to teach the word because you don't think you are a theologian. You don't have to be a theologian. Um... At every entrance to our New Gen ministry areas, uh, we we sell these two Bibles at cost. I would highly encourage you to get either one. One is the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is what we use the most at my house. And the other is the Big Picture Interactive Bible Storybook. The reason we use this one is because the Gospel Project puts it out, and we use Gospel Project materials. Because we're not just teaching your kids to be good kids. We're teaching them that, that God so loved you, He sent His only begotten Son to do for you what you couldn't do for you. And so what we do at my house is multiple nights a week, we just open up the Jesus Storybook Bible and we just pick a story and we read through it and say, hey, what do you think? What do you think? And while I am a theologian, it does not take a great theologian to just read that. And if they ask you a question and you don't know the answer, then you say, I don't know. Now, my kids try to manipulate me every single night we do this. They do. Dad, we would love to learn more of the Lord and his word. Could you read another story? Absolutely, my child. Okay, so God is sovereign even over their little manipulative ways to stay up for an extra 15 minutes. And it's worth it because I want to plant the word of God so deep in their soul that when they grow up, they will not be able to get away from it. Also, um, there is this little connect card that you get Every time you pick up your kids from New Gen, And what this is about, this is for you to be an expert in everything that they just learned. And my favorite part is our New Gen staff sits down every week and comes up with a part called the bridge. The bridge connects what you're learning in here with what they're learning in there. And, and we should teach the word over and over and over and over. Teach the word. Do you know who the best Bible teacher in the room is? At you, at your house, it's you. It's the mom and dad in their home. doesn't have to do with talent or seminary or any of that, but that you would teach the word. The R for train is relationships over rules. Relationships over rules. Now, early on in your parenting, it's all about rules and restraints. Again, the reason is because you didn't give birth to Jesus. You gave birth to this little wretched, black-hearted sinner that wants to kill you and themselves in the, along the way. They travel with like sleep deprivation and all of these kind of tactics to take you out. And so early on, it is sure it is about restraint. You take your kid, you put him in the car seat, and you buckle them up. But over time, there will come a day when that little boy becomes a young, grown man, and there will be a day where he can put you in the car seat and buckle you up. And rules and restraint, just if that's all you've got, then your parenting is over at a very, very young age. And so, over time, not overnight, you've got to move from rules and restraint to relationships. Because one day, that's all you got. One day, they're going to be out and do whatever they want, and you still want to maintain that relationship. Now, do rules matter? Yes, and amen, but the rules should still communicate the relationship. I remember, I I think I was in the fourth grade, I was riding my bicycle out in the road in front of my house in Dillon. And we're out there riding around. My mama comes storming out on the front porch, screaming, full name. Joseph Perry Martin III, I told you, you better get out of that road. Just screaming, With her neck all wobbly, you know, crazy. I was like, mama, why are you so mean? You don't love me. She says, son, if I didn't love you I, would let you, I wouldn't let you ride in the road, right? If I didn't love you, I would let you ride in the street. My boy Joey Peel, my best friend, is right here behind me, and I hear some whimpering. Some <laughs> I'm like, bro, what is wrong with you? He goes, my mom lets me ride in the street. Gone. <laughs> I'm not saying no rules, but the rules even point to that relationship. By the way, if you have a 7th through 12th grader, do you know that we have a student ministry here built on the gospel of Jesus Christ primarily through the function of relationships? Because one of the things that's going to happen in your house, parent, I know you might not believe this, that there's going to come a day When you're parenting teenagers where you're not going to be the person they talk to about everything anymore. Let that sink in for a second. Because I know you're like, not me. They can talk to me about everything. Yes, that is the ideal, but let me just put it this way. Did you talk to your mom and daddy about everything? Oh, no, that was different. It's not different, but I'm cool. You're not cool. Cool left a long time ago, okay? It'll come back when they get to college. Right now, it is far, far away, all right? But what you do want is you do want them to be talking to. They're going to talk to somebody. Who you want them to talk to? That idiot friend that they text all the time? I don't think so. You want them talking to somebody, some adult, godly adult that is rooted in the gospel that will say the same, same things to them that you want to say to them. And in fact, it's this crazy thing. Sometimes teenagers, they just can't hear you. And they'll come home from students one day and be like, guess what my disciple group leader Ron said? He said... And you're like, I have been telling you that my whole life. Get over it. It's like a Jedi youth mind trick or something. They just just can't hear it, all right? But you want them to have other people in their lives assisting you in raising them up. Let me say it this way. Imagine if you had the you now in your life when you were 15 that knows what you know and has done what you have done. Imagine if the you now could talk to the you when you were 15 or 16. Can you imagine the pain you could have saved you? Well, now you could be that person in somebody else's life. And you could get your student plugged into a place where some caring, loving adults care about how your kids are growing up. So teach the word. Relationships over rules. The A in train, ask heart questions. Ask heart questions. Most of us ask activity questions. What did you do today? That's a fine opener, but... I would highly encourage you to go to that next level and say, and what did that do to your heart? Is there something that you're mad about or angry about? Is there somebody you need to forgive? Is there something you're stoked about, excited about, that you want to celebrate? And here's why. And I'm going to tell you, I have an 11-year-old son. He is terrible at talking about his heart and what's going on in here. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm dating a 25-year-old guy. He is also terrible at that. Okay, I get it. But what I'm trying to train, that's the whole point, train. What I'm trying to train my children to do is to be able to talk to me, not just about what's happening, but what's happening in here. Because there will be a day where they make all their own decisions, and I I will have no restraint and no rules in their life. But if we have been talking about what's going on in their heart as they grow up, I still want to be able to maintain that relationship, which leads to the next one that influences the goal influence is the goal not just instruction because there will be a day when your instructions are over my dad is 68 years old I'm 43 years old he, he, he gives me no more instruction but he continues to be one of the primary influences in my life that I'll call him. I don't hesitate to call him on the phone and go hey dad I've got a question about can you help me out and so if you are a parent you get a very limited time where you build the kind of influence that does not go away when they go away. And so this is why it's got to be rooted in the Word. You've got to teach them the Word. It's rooted in relationships over rules. you got to ask those heart questions, and influence is the goal. And by the way, you cannot influence someone you are not spending time with. Influence is a direct result of time spent. I mean, honestly, you get a very, very limited amount of time to be an incredible influence in your kid. Which leads to the end in train. Never give up. Just never give up. And you say, yeah, but it's hard. Yeah, it was really hard for God to father us. It was so hard that he sent his only begotten son to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Really, really hard. And whatever you do, you never give up. Because I know there are some of you, and you're thinking, I could have used this 25 years ago, but my, my children are grown, and I think I ruined it. What do I do? They will never cease to be yours, and you never, ever, ever give up. Some of you need to call them on the phone, your grown children today, and say, I'm sorry. Let me tell you what the gospel did for me. I am sorry I let you down in these ways, but I am never going to give up on you because God never, ever gave up on me. And when it is hard, I mean, when they're teenagers and you're about to pull your hair out, you know, that's why I just took it out to begin with, right? (laughs) And so just never give up. It is worth the fight with your daughter to make sure she knows that she is valuable. She will be treated as value. Therefore, therefore, modest is hottest. It is worth the fight. It is worth the fight with your son that he treats his mama right. It is worth it. You never, ever, ever, ever give up on them. And the reason you never give up on them is because God Almighty gave up on you. Never gave up on you. Because here's the thing, man. And especially, man, if you're going through a messy divorce and there's all that kind of stuff, the one thing your kids will remember more than anything else is, did my mama and daddy fight for me? Not fight with me, but fight for me. And when the person on earth that is supposed to love them more than anybody else taps out, it will do more damage than any other singular thing can do. And so never, ever, ever give up. And again, the reason is not because of their amazing response Go back to your room and change. Thank you, Father, that you would love me in such a corrupt and crooked generation. No, that's probably not going to happen until they get older. But you never, ever, ever stop fighting for them because the gospel tells us that God did whatever it took. He never stopped fighting for you and me. So here's the point. I want you to really think about this. Of all the parents in the entire world, God chose you to raise your kids So then the million-dollar question is this. Are you raising God-worshipping missionaries or culturally compliant citizens? Because it seems to me we say gospel with our mouth, and yet a whole bunch of time, effort, energy, dollars is spent towards our kids. It seems like a lot of parents are more concerned about where their kids will walk on graduation than their walk with Jesus. It seems like a whole bunch of parents can be more concerned about where they'll go to college Versus where they will spend eternity. And the good news is this, man. That God gave you your kids not for you. Not even for them. But for himself. To declare that he is before all things. And so, here's how I want to close. I want to close with some action here. First of all, if you are, if you have parents, if you're able to do this. Before we are done, in five minutes, before we are done, I want you to text. Or if your parents don't text, when you get home today, write them a letter or call them on the phone, whatever it is. And maybe you need to say you're sorry, or maybe you need to say thank you, but you definitely need to say I love you. And it's a way that you could honor your father and mother. And if you don't have kids, and you're like, well, what does this have to do with me? Here's what this has to do with you. I would love for you, would you please, this is, this is as a dad, not as the pastor of the church. Would you please consider volunteering for our serve staff in either, in either kids or in our student ministry? Because it takes more than a village to raise a kid. You let the village raise a kid these days, you get the village idiot, you don't want that. It takes more than a village, it takes a church. And I, I mean, one of God's great graces in my life are the men and women and students that have gathered around my family to help me and Gretchen train up J.P. and Reagan in a way that they should go. We, do, we can't do it on our own. And so, we need your help. So a great response for you is to help us parents raise the over 1,200 students and children that are 1122ers here each and every week. So you would get out your response card, fill it out and say, "Listen, I don't know what I can do. You don't have to be a great teacher or any of that. There's a whole bunch of different levels that you could volunteer at. And then if you're a parent, maybe when you go home today, would you please, maybe you need to look at your kid, maybe you need to say, "I'm sorry. Maybe like this week, me this week, maybe you need to say, "I'm sorry and I need to repent." But for sure, could you get eyeball to eyeball with your kids this week and say, you need to know this, no matter what, I am never, ever, ever going to give up on you because the almighty God never, ever, ever gave up on me. And you know the way we end our services. We sing, we're going to sing, good, good father, because that's just who he is and that we are loved by him. That's just who we are. If we knew those two things, it would change our whole world. And we're going we're gonna to respond like we always do by bringing our tithes and offerings, our first and our best. Because God gave his only begotten son first. And he was his best because he loved us that much. And we're going to respond by praying. And I would invite every parent in here to come and pray, regardless of how old you are. Some of you need to just pray and thank God for the incredible blessing of the kids that you have. Some of you need to pray and ask God to move like crazy because your son or your daughter daughter is a long, long way from home and that God might use you to be a demonstration and a declaration of the gospel in their life. So would you please stand and pray with me? Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that, that we can love because you first loved us. Lord, we thank you that 189 times in the gospels, Jesus refers to you as Heavenly Father. God, regardless of our circumstances or our situation, God, you are a good, good father. You're perfect in all of your ways. Even and especially when your ways don't make a lot of sense to us. God, we decide to give you the glory. And God, I pray for every child, every student, every college student that would be a part of 1122. God, I pray that this, your bride, your church, will be the kind of environment where those children are trained up in the way that they should go so when they are old, they will not depart from it. And Lord, I pray for the parents. We need you. May we lean into the gospel over and over and over because you did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We pray it in the good, strong name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.